Thank you, praise team, for leading us in our singing this morning. What great songs, amen? I want to say thank you to you as well, church, for your kindness to me and our family, your prayers, your expressions of love, and the way that you've reached out to say you're praying. I, I know, I believe it, and we're trusting the Lord, and uh, we're going we're gonna to believe and work through this and move through this uh, according to uh, His grace and His riches, and I'm grateful for you, and I love you. I want you to know that. Please turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, if you will, Luke in chapter 2. I try to keep an ongoing list of families in our church who I know are expecting babies. And I know of six right now, really five, because one of those families had a baby just you know, within the past two weeks or so. So these dates are from about two weeks ago, maybe ranging into the next several months. And for half of those families, this is their first child. Now, for those of you who have already raised children or believe that you're past the stage where you have to even think about that, let me remind you, a few weeks ago, I preached a message that says nothing will be impossible with God, okay? So just remember that. But second, think about how simultaneously a frightening time and an exciting time that was in your life. Bringing that baby home for the first time was a time full of joy and a source of stress, right? It is a literal wake-up call when you realize that you can't send the baby down to the hospital nursery so you can get a few hours more of rest. But it's a fun and exciting time, getting all those necessities that you need for the baby, all, those cl- all the clothing, all the, you know, all the things that you have to have that go along with a baby, that's a fun time. It's an important time. Historians believe that the modern day concept of a baby shower probably began after World War II. However, there is evidence that there have been ceremonies and rituals that go along with the birth of the baby from ancient time, ancient Egypt and ancient Greece. Consider how much has changed even in the past 30 years when it comes to giving gifts for babies and baby showers, right? From toys to parent helps to dirty diaper storage bins that actually work, it's a whole new world, right? Think about baby monitors. It used to be that you would have a baby monitor that would pick up all the AM frequencies, all the police scanners, and all the semi-truck traffic as well. But now it's a color screen, touch screen, it, it, it has motion sensitivity, so you know if your baby's moving in bed. I mean, it, it, the, it, it's just amazing how things have progressed, right? Strollers now that it's all in one. It's your carrier, it's your car seat, and it's your stroller at a push of a button. Think about it was for us, right? It wasn't that long ago, and it's so easy. Well, it's easier now. When we look at the birth of the Savior, friends, while we don't see much extravagance, There is much to consider. There's much to consider. This morning, we're going to consider Jesus' birth. We're going to consider the announcement of Jesus' birth. And then we're going to consider the response to his birth. If you will, please stand. We're going to read only in the first seven verses of Luke chapter 2, as Zach has read the text for us this morning. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. 
And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth, the profound impact that is contained in those verses. Thank you for the hope that is found in Christ. We are grateful to gather this morning, and we are grateful to be in him. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Well, first, I want us to consider Jesus' birth. Consider the birth of the Savior. Consider the birth of the Savior. What stands out in the opening chapter of Luke's gospel is all the miraculous things that take place, right? The angels are meeting with people. They're appearing and they're showing up and they're saying, hey, this is going to happen. Even though you're older and your womb has been closed, you're going to have a baby. And, And even though... You've never known a man and you're not married now. You are going to have a baby by the power of God that has overshadowed you and there will be a son in your womb and he will be the savior of the earth. There's a lot of supernatural that takes place here in the first chapter of Luke's gospel. But then when we come to Luke chapter two and we read those verses, we just see a lot of, um, we see it's, somewhat uneventful. I mean, certainly there's a lot going on, but there's not a lot of extravagance. We don't see it just marked with supernatural at this moment. Luke tells us that Caesar Augustus sent a decree that all the world should be registered. Registered in a town of of his own family ancestry. No doubt this was a money grab by Caesar Augustus because as they traveled, they'd pay taxes and they would go and they'd pay taxes and then the kingdom would become richer and he would know how many people he had in his kingdom. Now, Caesar Augustus was the most powerful ruler of his day. He reigned from about 27 BC until about 14 AD. He was the first Caesar of Rome to be given the title Augustus. And the title Augustus means holy one. He was likened to a God, a man who became a God. And the vastness of the empire is seen there when it says he's put a decree out to the whole world, to the known lands. And everyone in the kingdom admired him and looked to him and they, and they thought he was a God. In fact, it said that when he died, people comforted themselves by telling themselves that gods don't die, so Caesar must not really be dead. This is who was the king. This is who was in control from an earthly standpoint at that time. And this decree meant that Joseph and Mary would make an 80-mile trek down to Bethlehem because Joseph was of the house and the lineage of David. And as we see and consider the birth of the Savior, we see God's providence and we see God's sovereignty at work. It's very clear. Be sure Caesar had his own interests in mind when he declared this registration. But in reality, he was acting according to the will of God. 
The prophet Micah records a prophecy, what, what God spoke to Micah, and Micah spoke to the people some 700 years prior to this in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days." And friends, while it may not seem this way all the time, Scripture is clear, God is in complete control. He's in complete control of history. He always accomplishes His will, even through the free choices of His creatures. And when we look at our world and we see signs of chaos and we see signs of unrighteousness, we may be tempted to despair. Even in our own lives, we may be tempted to despair because things aren't going as we want them to or as we had hoped they would go or as we had made the plans for ourselves. And it's then that we have to remember that God rules and that he is not threatened by anyone and he is working for his glory and he is working for our good even when it doesn't look like it. Even in the midst of moral and social decline all around us. Caesar Augustus didn't require a registration because somehow he got a hold of the Jewish Old Testament, the scriptures, the scrolls, and read in Micah and then put two and two together and said, okay, we got to make this happen now. That's not what was going on. God was exercising his providence over his creation, bringing all these things to pass. God was at work. And we can trust that God is at work now. Even when leaders in our country or in this world are making decisions that we don't agree with, and even when sinfulness is at high tide, God is working. He is still working, and we can rest in that. And he will accomplish his own redemptive purposes in history and in our own lives as well. And as we read in verses 6 and 7, Luke recounts Jesus' birth in a matter-of-fact way. Luke must not have been married because no wife would allow their husband to write something like this and leave out all the details. I mean, how much did Jesus weigh? How long was he? How long did labor last? Did Mary take the epidural? All these kind of things, right? Like... No wife would have let her husband write this story without including these kinds of details. All he wrote, when the time came, she gave birth. When the time came, she gave birth. In Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writes, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. According to the wisdom of God, communicated through the prophets of God, the true Son of God enters the world to bring the fulfillment of God's word. But for the most part, friends, in that moment, it goes unnoticed. The Savior of the world, perhaps in a cave on the side of a hill in Bethlehem, in a place maybe where animals were kept at night, God becomes man and a baby is born in the most humble of ways the true holy one is born and he's wrapped in swaddling cloths and he's laid in a trough used to feed animals the savior enters our 
world. And Jesus' humble beginnings foreshadow his life, friends. Of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah writes, he had no form or majesty that we should look to him and no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, there's nothing about Jesus' appearance that would draw attention to him like he is someone special. But we know that he is the most special one to ever walk on the face of the earth, the very son of God. The Savior of the world enters the world in the humblest of ways as a baby and he subjects himself to human weakness, to human frailty, to human pain, and to raw emotion. Why? In order to redeem those who are under the curse of the law because of our sin, to redeem us from that. Right In our sin, we've broken God's will. We've broken his law. We've broken his ways. And we stand guilty before him. And to be under the curse of sin means that we have no relationship with the one true and living God. It means that we're spiritually dead. It means that we will one day suffer because of our sin, because of our rebellion. But Jesus came to redeem sinners. How? By becoming a curse for us. By receiving the wrath of God on the cross as he died in our place for our sin. As we consider the Savior's birth, we remember that he became poor for our sakes, so that through him we might become rich in him. Through his poverty, we might become rich in him. Second, we should consider the announcement of Jesus' birth. Let's consider the announcement of Jesus' birth. Well, once again, the curtain is kind of just drawn back, right? We've seen this in, in Luke chapter one and all the angelic realm there And now there, after the birth, the shepherds there on the hillsides in Bethlehem, they're tending to their sheep, and the curtains pulled back, and there's the host of angels. The host of angels who will announce the birth of the Savior. I want to mention two things that stand out about their announcement. First, the fact that they are announcing this to shepherds. The very first people who hear about the birth of the Savior are shepherds. Now, this tells us something really important. It tells us that the news of the gospel is for all people. Because shepherds in this day were a disdained people. They were a dirty people. They had a very poor reputation. They were outcast by society's standards. The announcement didn't go to the rich and to the influential first. The announcement went to the shepherds, those who were considered ceremonially unclean by religious, by the religious class because of their because their responsibilities didn't allow them to clean themselves up enough. They had a reputation of thieving and lying. The testimony of a shepherd wasn't even allowed in the court of law at the time. But as Mary sang. God was turning everything upside down. There is a reversal of things happening. God has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty from the Magnificat. So we see the initial fulfillment of Mary's song in the shepherds in the field outside of Bethlehem as they are the first to hear the message of the birth of the Savior This teaches us again that the good news of the Savior is for all people. 
that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. And no one is beyond even the need of God's grace. Well, the second thing that stands out about the announcement is that the angels don't say Jesus' name. You notice that? They don't say, hey, shepherds, shepherds in the field, Jesus was just born just over here a little bit. They don't say his name. They actually focus on his identity. I I want you to think about that, though. An announcement, a birth announcement, but no name? Jesus' name is very important. But consider the titles that the angels put together here. Christ the Lord. There is a Savior, Christ the Lord. The only time in Scripture where these titles are actually brought together in the same place. He is the one who will bring deliverance. He's the Savior. He's the anointed one of God who will possess all authority. This baby, whom the shepherds hear the announcement of. The reasons the shepherds, the reasons that the shepherds don't have to be afraid. Well, the long expected deliverer has come. And he's going to make all things right. There's good news and there's great joy for all the people. And he comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. There is joy to the world in Christ, right? The curse of sin brings dreadful fear. But Jesus' coming means hope and life for all who will receive him through faith. As you consider the announcement of Jesus' birth, do you see that God is on the side of the humble? Do you see that God is on the side of those who will will recognize their own need? Maybe who sense their, their difference from everyone else, but their great need for a savior? Are you ready this morning to admit your need for God's forgiveness? Are you ready this morning to admit your need for a savior? And that ultimately you have no claim to him, but he is a good and gracious God who has come to bring life Finally, consider your response to Jesus' birth. Consider your response to Jesus' birth. What is evident from this text is that the angels cannot contain the praise that is due to God's name. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And then the angels go away. And now the shepherds have a decision to make. But truthfully, it's probably that, not that difficult of a decision to make. With this news, with the announcement of the angels, what intrigue, what joy. We gotta see what's going on. We wanna go check this out, right? The, the birth of the Savior calls for shouts of joy. For with the birth of Jesus comes peace. So that the angels fade, the heavenly choir fades And the shepherds, probably still glowing, determined to go see for themselves what God has made known to them. And they go and they find Mary and Joseph and the baby. We don't know exactly what that looked like there. You know, did the shepherds want to hold the baby? Would Mary and Joseph let them hold the baby? You know, what what, what all happened in that moment, we don't know, but we know they were filled with wonder. And apparently they too, the shepherds, verse 18, were telling everyone what was going on. I mean, 
They said, this is what we know. This is what we've seen. And then Mary was just filled with wonder, amazed. So what's the response? What's the response to the birth of the Savior? Well, both the angels and the shepherds had to talk about it. Both the angels and the shepherds had to talk about it. The news was too amazing. The news was too exciting. It was too wonderful to keep silent about. The Savior of the world, how could anyone keep quiet about that? And that's a fair question, isn't it? How could anyone, how can we keep quiet about that? When we consider the birth of the Savior, what is our response? Are we telling others about the birth of Jesus, about the hope and the deliverance that is found in the gospel of Jesus? Are we ready to tell people about the forgiveness of sins that comes through Jesus? The second response we see there in verse 18, verse 18 and 19, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds were telling them. But Mary treasured up these things in her heart, pondering them. She meditated on it. She found joy in it. She gloried in the hope of her baby. Friends, let's learn from Mary. It is a good thing to meditate on the hope that is found in Jesus. It is a good thing to dwell on the person of Jesus. It is an appropriate thing. It is an orienting thing. It is a peace-producing thing to focus our heart's attention on Jesus, to treasure Jesus. And then a third response that we see to Jesus' birth is that of worship. Let's look at verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. The birth of Jesus is an occasion for praising God. It's an occasion for glorifying his name, for humbling ourselves before him, because he is the promise-keeping God who will save his people. Of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah wrote, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. The Savior, in a cave likely where animals were kept, resting in a trough from which animals ate, would die as the Lamb of God. A sinner's death on the cross but a death that takes our sin away. And on this glorious morning, we forget not that this Savior was born to die. And through his life and death and resurrection, we have life and the hope of resurrection and eternal life forever. So let's worship God. Let's treasure Jesus. And let's tell others the good news. Will you pray with me? Thank you again for this morning, Lord. We are recipients of your grace. We are undeserving of your love. 
But Lord, we worship you because of how marvelous, how magnificent, and how glorious this salvation is, and you are. So in these moments, as we prepare to sing and to worship, I pray that we would respond by looking to you and trusting you and believing you and worshiping you. And Lord, as we leave this place today, may we not forget why we celebrate this day, even amongst everything else going on. May we remember your goodness to us. And may we trust you with every detail of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I'm going to be at the front. If you have questions or you want to pray, if you need to know the gospel, if you need to know Jesus, otherwise, I encourage you to just worship from your heart, treasuring up Jesus in your heart, pondering all that he is and all that he's done. Would you stand as we respond?